We're going to be in the book of 2 Peter tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, I was very fortunate um, when I was in college uh, to get to do something not, not a lot of people get to do. And um, some people. Th- thought it was cool. Some people thought it was pretty much the lamest thing they'd ever heard that anybody would want to do this. But uh, I really wanted, I was in the Tiger Band when I was at LSU, and I really, I wanted to be the drum major for some reason uh, since I was younger. Um, I just thought that that, I don't know, I wanted to do that. I don't know if it was the snazzy white suit with the sequins on it uh, that that drew me in, or if it was the... uh, you know, ridiculous amount of authority that, uh, you know, a drum major has in a marching band. I don't know. I don't know what it was about it. Um, and so there just came a point in my college career when I was like, that's one of my goals, and maybe I'll reach it, maybe I won't, but I'm going to give it a shot. And so uh, I was one of those people that took a four-year degree and crammed it into five years, and um, kind of a joke. Not a good joke, but... Um, it should have taken me four, and uh, because I did what I would advise most college students to do, I enjoyed college and was unable to do it in four years. And uh, was in my fifth year, and I um, became the drum major of the Tiger Band. And uh, here's the thing: like, if you if you know me, then you know my personality is like fairly laid back. Um, and by fairly, I mean extremely. And uh, they're just, they're, I don't know, there just needed to be a little bit more um, take the bull by the horns in my personality in order to effectively, like, do what needs to be done. And the, the drum major of the Tiger Band just has a few jobs. Um, the main job is during the game, you have to basically um, know everything that's going on on the field and the band plays accordingly, all right? So there's a first down cheer, second down, you know, whatever. They just play constantly as long as they're on offense and certain things. So certain things happen on the field, and the band plays accordingly. But um, as a drum major, you have to be watching, and you have to know what happens and then, like, get the band to do what needs to be done. And um, you don't have the, you know, the privilege of watching it on a screen or having someone tell you, yes, he got the first down, you know, oh, hey, there's a penalty. You just have to watch. And so there are some times when, you know, the drum major makes the wrong call. And, uh, you know, it's, they got the first down barely, but the, he doesn't see that, plays the second down cheer, and everybody boos him, you know, and you're the worst ever, and, you know, come on, Elvis, can't you get it right, uh, you know, stuff like that. And so, uh, so I spent the first four years watching this happen, um, watching what it was like when the new guy, his first game, you give him about 45 seconds up there before you have decided if he is um, 
any good at doing that or not. And, uh, and so I knew, having watched this, that I had about 45 seconds to establish any sort of credibility with this group. Now, we have been rehearsing, and you practice all this stuff, whatever, but it doesn't mean anything until you get in a live game situation. And so um, it was the first game. I'm absolutely terrified. Um, and, and so, like, you know, the Tiger Man has certain things that they do, and they line up at the Greek theater, and they march down, and you come down the hill and run in the stadium, whatever. And, and that was just, I mean, unbelievable to be at the front of that and, uh, you know, just to come over that hill and there's, you know, whatever. It's just, just so great. And so we'd, I'd made it through all that stuff. And what happens is the band, that you go in and you get up in the stands and you get situated and they start handing out water because you're basically about to dehydrate at that point. And so there's a little bit of, like, water time. And then once everybody's got water and everybody's kind of ready to go, the band plays Hey, Fighting Tigers and whatever. So it's in this period where we've gotten in and we're about to play Hey, Fighting Tigers. And basically, here's what happens. You play Hey, you play a couple of songs, then you get ready to go down for pregame. All right? So terrifying experience one is over with. We've come down the hill. Terrifying experience number two awaits me as we go down. And then the overarching terrifying experience is can I establish myself as an effective uh, leader of this you know, organization during these games? And I'm, like, I'm just like, I'm like I, I can't screw up. If I screw up, it's got to be like later in the season or something. I cannot... I've got to establish, like, I'm, I'm in control here, you know. And so we get up in the, in the stands, and in, in my mind, I'm just like, I've got to be effective. I've got to be effective. So I'm kind of like all business, you know, whatever. I'm trying to be effective, trying to be effective. And uh, here's, here's what happened. This is going to be a, long, a longer story than I thought, but I think it's, it's worth it. Um, <laughs> so so here, here's, here's the situation. Um, in, in those days, the, it was not the BCM, it was the BSU, and the BSU had a block of tickets, like 250 tickets, and so they all sat in these sections, they moved around every year. The year that I was drum major, they sat directly behind the band, all right? So let's say, like, this is the band, all right, I'm on the podium, the BSU is right behind them. So I can see all of them, they're up there. So there's like 200 of my, 250 of my friends, uh, we'll just, I'll use that air quote there, um, and so they're there. And we get in the stadium, and they're like, ah, you know, they're all, they're happy for me, generally, as a group, collectively, they're happy for me. And so they're screaming, they're like, whatever, messing around. And so um, that night, there was going to be a dance party. And back then, there was this dude, his name was Donnie Vipperman, and then uh, he would have these parties that were just ridiculously scandalous. Like, um, it, it was just like, like, you get like a bunch of Baptist kids who've been like suppressed like dance wise, and you get them all in a room, and you put on like, boom, boom, shake, shake the room. And like, it was over with, it was over with. And so that night, that night was the first VIP party that was happening, that's what they call it, VIP. And so everybody was all pumped about the party or whatever. So that they're, they're up there, they're behind, I can see them all, whatever, and they're like, yeah, go, whatever. So I have this friend, his name is Juan. And many of you know Juan. Um, Juan really wants to, like, communicate something to me. So th this is what he does. He tells the top row, which is like the tubas, right? He's like, hey, he's like yelling at me, and I can't hear him. So he's like, hey, get the drum major. So they break all the rules, and they're like, okay. So the, the tuba player of the top tells the next row, tells the next row, tells the next row. And so basically, I've got this entire section of people that are trying to get my attention, uh, band people, to get my attention for this random guy. By the time I... Like, he gets my attention. Everybody wants to know what he has to say, you know? <laughs> so I've got a good number of Tiger Bandsmen all looking back at this guy, Juan, 
wanting to know what he has to say to me. And this is what he says. He goes, hey, Josh. And I'm like, hey, Juan. And everybody looks back at Juan, and he does this. We going dancing tonight? Yeah. And, uh, and it, was, it was so perfect because, like, everybody looks at him, and he, sees, he does that, and everybody just slowly turns and looks back at me. And uh, I don't remember what I did. But I knew at that moment uh, I would not be effective uh, in my role. Juan had compromised me, and uh, it was all over with. And um, so, I, you know, I don't even know why I told that story. Uh, I was thinking about it today. And I was thinking about, like, if effectiveness. And, and the whole point of, not the whole point of tonight, but one of the main ideas for tonight is this. Um, all of us in our lives, like, we want to be effective at the things that we're doing, you know? And I was thinking about, like, what was my worst, like, failure at effectiveness? And that would definitely have to be at, really up there, thanks to Juan. Um, we we want to be effective, right, in the things that, that we're doing. If, um, if you have a job, like, nobody wants to, like, completely, like, fail at their job, right? Unless you just want to get fired. Um, nobody wants that. If you're, if you're a student, like, nobody wants to, like, just be absolutely terrible at, you know, geography, some people are, but it's not, you don't want to be that. You, know? you don't want to have the lowest grade in the class all the time. Nobody wants to fail at that. Um, you don't want to study for a test and have that study time be ineffective. You know? and that's not what you want. Um, if, you're, uh, if you're married, you don't want to be like, ineffective as a husband or ineffective as a wife or ineffective as parents. Um, none of us want to get to that point where, uh, where we're just failing at the things that we're really trying hard to do and the things that are really important to us to do. Um, I feel like a lot of believers feel like they are failures and that they are ineffective when it comes to following Jesus. Um, you start to listen to the way that people talk and you start to listen in sometimes, like in our small group discussions and just in interacting with people. And, and I think there's kind of just this general sense of like, I just do nothing but fall short when it comes to my relationship with God. And the things that I want from my life, you know, the things I want to see my life become, I just, I'm just so tired of coming up short and being ineffective. Or there being no fruit in my life, or not the kind of fruit that I want, or not how much fruit I want, you know, or not in the timeline that I want it. And I think we all just have to, like, agree with the fact we want, we want to be, we want to be, like, great. At following Christ, don't we? We want to we want to know Jesus so intimately and so closely. I think sometimes Christians get frustrated because you're like, I just, I don't feel like I am, you know. And you just kind of want to you want to quit, you want to give up. What we really kind of do is we just kind of stop really trying as hard, you know, as as we think we uh, need to and we know we need to. And so that effectiveness and that fruitfulness is something that um, that we all want and. Peter addresses this in uh, his second letter here. Um, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses uh, in chapter 1. If we could bring the lights up a little bit. Um, we'll put the verses up on the screen too. But look, let's, let's read these first 11 verses. To Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All right, so this, this isn't a letter necessarily to a church. It's a letter to believers, to all of us on equal standing, all of us in the same boat. This is Peter, the guy who Jesus chose to start the church. This is the, the leader of the New Testament church. The, I mean, I know like we talk about Paul a lot, but the, Peter was the rock that the church was built on. This is what he says right, out, right off the bat. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an encouraging passage of Scripture to read. You know, like what, like, just so much that's there for us. Um, Verse 8, when it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the, I think that's what God has for us tonight. Not in, in a sense of, like, finger pointing and, like, beating you down and saying, like, you need to do this more, you need to stop doing this and start doing this and all that kind of stuff. But I think Peter through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is offering an encouragement to believers everywhere who are all in the same boat, who all, all of us, we, we want to serve Jesus with everything that we have. We want to grow into that Christ-likeness. We want to live every day just like he did and have his character be our character. I think he's writing to us and he's saying, look, you need to be encouraged. You're never going to get there if, like, if, you're, if you're down you know, if, if you think that it's impossible, if you use um, your track record as the basis for truth, um, that you, you don't need to do that. And so basically, there's, there's just kind of different sections. We're just going to walk through these real quick. We're starting in verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All right? So, He's given it to us. If you, are a, if you are a Christian, if you have stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, you've acknowledged Him as being the Lord and the Savior of your life, claimed the forgiveness that is yours through what He did on the cross, um, 
the divine power that raised him from the dead, that has done all these miracles all throughout time, that divine power has given you and me everything you need for life and for godliness. So really, I mean, we could stop right there. I think a lot of times we, we kind of don't think it's really possible or we get in this mode of thinking like we have to, we have to work so hard to be godly, you know. We have to work so hard to, to, to be like Jesus. And what this is saying is that, no, no, his divine power has given you all the, the, the things that you need. So if you are in Christ, then everything that you need is, is there. You don't lack anything. And for me, that's really good to hear, you know, because I look at my life and I see a lot of things that are lacking. And the awesome thing is that while there may be a lack in how those things show up in my life, there's not a lack of what is inside of me because Christ is in me and there is no lacking in Jesus at all. So his divine power has given us, uh, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So again, it comes down, it's knowing Jesus. You know Jesus, then, then everything you need is there. That's how it happens, through knowing him. There's one translation that, uh, that really kind of captures the vibe of this passage. and It says, um, as we know him more and more. As we know him more and more, these things b- begin to come out. So it's like... Uh, when you, when you are in Christ, you have everything, but it's like this, like almost like a time release, you know, kind of deal um, to where like, I mean, you're not going to like all of a sudden like become a Christian and then like everything is there because you'd explode, I think, which would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, we had four people uh, get saved at church today. Cause, how you know? Because they all blew up. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, everything you need is there. And through knowing him, that's when those things begin uh, to come out. Um, through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, okay, so by his glory and by his excellence, he has granted to us his very precious and very, his precious and very great promises. See, sometimes, like, I, I think we, um, we're so incredibly uh, practical and we, um, we struggle, I think, with faith because faith deals with unseen. And we, especially being Americans, uh, like we want to deal with like tangible things that we see. And what this is saying is that all this comes down to these promises that God has made. And so you've got to trust God for the promises to be kept. And I think that's something that we kind of wrestle with, um, especially when, when you look at your life and you're like, it's been so long since I feel like, Anything has transformed in my life. Um, and I think God just points us back to his word and says, yeah, but see, it's about a promise. It's not about what you see. It's about who I am. Big difference. And so from his own glory and excellence, uh, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Partakers of the divine nature. So summing all that stuff up, basically, God has um, granted to you everything you need to be a partaker of divine nature. 
to become more and more and more and more and more like him in the way that you speak, in the way that you think, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you interact with people, um, in the way you parent, in the way that you are a spouse, in the way that you are a student, in the way that you are a friend, um, more and more and more like him. Powered by him through promises, through knowing Jesus Christ. All that stuff is there. That's a I mean, that's about as powerful with two verses as you could, you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. Rock solid. So there, there's, I mean, all this stuff is just amazing. And to think that the divine nature is not only possible, it is probable. It is likely for us. Like that is, that's the forecast for life in Christ. That's what God is saying. Like this is where your life is going. Isn't that crazy when you start to think about it? This is where your life is headed, divine nature. Life, Jesus, basically. That is your destination. That is what your life is going to look like, according to the plan of God. Sometimes I look at Jesus and how he dealt with people, and how he just, he just handled certain situations, and, and his discipline, you know, and his just, how he's just focused on the plan of the Father, and was, he'd get up early to pray, and he just, I mean, just, I look at all these things, I'm like, I can never be that way. But his promises say otherwise. That that is, that is that my character destination is his. Blows me away. So you have all that, and we could stop there and, and just be great, I think. Have so much to think about and to ponder. And that's the beauty of uh, having copies of Scripture. Is you can take that and ponder it all, all you want. And I challenge you to do that. But And, and usually that's kind of where I, I bring things to a close when I when I use this verse in a sermon or in a community group or whatever, look at the next verse, look at verse 5. For this very reason, okay, so in light of all that stuff that we just talked about and that amazing truth, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. When I look at that, it, it forces me to not like have this amazing truth and have it just sit there like a lump in my heart or in my mind. See, Peter, he could have stopped there, but see, truth, truth always has legs. You know, like truth always, it's always going somewhere. Like it always applies. It factors into our lives. It should make a difference in the way that we live. And so it's a springboard into just amazing things. And so he's saying, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement where you are, basically. It's not necessarily saying like this is the progression and, you know, when you're like a 95-year-old dude, then you'll like finally get to the last one, which is love, finally, love. No, that's not what it's saying. What he is saying is that um, where you are now is built upon. And that's built upon. And that's built upon. That as you know Jesus more and more and more, these things begin to show up in your life. There's, there's just new seasons that you walk into. And so that's the thing. That's the thing is that um, where I am right now is not where I was three months ago. Even though it feels like it sometimes, 
And even though there may be some areas of life where there's not been this radical, like, just amazing, like, fruit and all this effectiveness come, I'm not where I was three months ago in reality or six months ago or where I I will be in three months or six months or whatever. This is the plan of God is to continually just have us um, morphing and changing and becoming. And what Peter is saying is that in view of this truth that everything that you need for your life to become everything that you've always wanted it to be and those those things that we want to see change everything you need is here and so now we have to make every effort to build on that so that those things begin to show up in our lives in new and in powerful ways and it's just this kind of weird mixture where it's not that we have to work really hard to make that stuff happen but we have to work really hard to make that stuff happen. And I'm not telling you that the gospel is about works, you know, because I don't think in our own strength we can do anything. But sometimes, and I talk about this often, how we tend to go to the other extreme where we say, well, God's got to do everything, and I'm, I'm just going to live, and he's just going to have to do it. But the Bible speaks of things happening really in tandem, you know. So we discipline ourselves, And God uses those disciplines to bring about transformation. So he transforms us through the efforts that we make. There's a big difference. And there are are some um, strains of teaching that will go too far to one side, you know, and it's like you got to work, 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 work to maintain that salvation. And if you mess up, then you lose your salvation and you're, you know, whatever. Um, There's a pastor in town that told this whole group of people, you can follow Jesus every day of your life, you know, for 30 years, and then the, if you mess up one day, it was all for nothing. I mean, that's the most terrible thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, why, just whatever, might as well just, you know, just roll. I mean, just forget Jesus. If that's, that's the truth. It's not that extreme, but it's also not the other extreme where we just sit back and it's like, God wants me to be Jesus-like, then he better change the way I talk, you know, or he, he can do it, you know, whatever. I'm just going to be me. It's... It's him working through us, but we make effort also. And as those things work together, it builds. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with these things. And I look at that and I'm like, you know what? As much as I want that divine nature to be my character, the way that I live, I don't look at that truth and then I don't make every effort to build on things. I make some effort. It helps that I have to get up here on the stage as the pastor. I mean, that certainly is a motivator for my spiritual development. My greatest accountability partner is this stool right here. Um, but I don't, I don't make every effort. It's always a challenge for me on, in, in the times when I'm not up here. Uh, and I'm always like, does, how different does my week look in the week so I don't, I, don't, I don't have to get up there and teach? Not have to, get to is really the way I look at it. But um, how different am I, you know? Am I just like, whoo, two weeks off, you know? Do I find myself on Friday getting much more, like, in tune with the Spirit because I'm trying to, you know, whatever, you know? I don't make every effort. And sometimes it's because I feel like I'm just ineffective anyway. You know, I don't see the fruit there, so I kind of give up. Sometimes I'm just kind of lazy. Um, sometimes it's just because I just want to do what I want to do, and that becomes more important, you know, for the time or whatever. Um, look at verse 8. 
It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If they're yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in knowing Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. So you, you may not be um, developing spiritually at the rate that you want to, but God doesn't really talk about a pace, you know? He doesn't talk about comparing ourselves to other people. He just says increasing. So whether you're growing by leaps and bounds or you're just growing a little bit every day, just steadily, just steadily, if you're increasing and you're knowing him more. And that's the thing, it's all about knowing him. Because you don't, you don't know him without becoming like him. It's always funny to me when, when people in my life, uh, and I, I do this too, but you don't see it in your own self, but when people will make friends with people that are different and they start to talk like them, start to imitate them. Uh, several summers ago, I worked this camp called uh, Crossings it's in Kentucky. It's where Alan Lusk works uh, now for that organization. And uh, I led worship for the second half of the summer. But a bunch of my friends were there for the entire summer. And basically, like, you had a third of the staff, I guess, or a quarter or whatever, was from South Louisiana, and everybody else was from, like, Tennessee and Kentucky. And it was funny because they had all been there for, like, four or five weeks, and I get up there, and all my, you know, South Louisiana friends now talk like Tennessee and Kentucky people. And I'm like, where did y'all get these draws from? I don't understand. Like, I can't even understand you. Talk faster, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but no, like, it was just so weird, because I'm like, that's not how you talk? <laughs> but they were getting to know these people, and when you get to know people, so many times you, you pick up on the way that they are and the things that they think are funny or whatever, and it's just a part of just relationships, and it's very interesting to me. That's one of the things about Jesus, though. You, like, the more you get to know him, the more those things increase, the more imitative our lives become. And it's not even like, I'm going to try really hard to, uh, to be Jesus-like today. It's one of those things of, of, I'm going to make every effort to get to know him. And as I know him more, things just start to change. I just become different. And that's, that's what it comes down to. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, Forever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This goes back to our, our identity, you know? When you forget who you are, then you forget who you are, and you start acting like something that you're not. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And don't... Listen, we won't stir the theological pot about, oh, that means you'll never sin again. Or That's not what it's saying. Let's look at what it is saying in the context of what we're talking about here. If you are diligent in practicing these things, that's where the life you've always wanted, that's where it's found. When we end up falling, when we stumble and fall and we get whatever, a lot of times it's because we're not practicing that stuff. Because we're not knowing him more and more. 
And so what is, how do you practice those qualities, you know, like, you know, it seems kind of, I don't know, like how do you practice self-control? Well, you practice self-control. You say, God, I, that is, I read that passage and that one just leaps off the page. God, I, I need you to teach me how to do that. Maybe practicing these qualities is not something that you take on this big, like, you know, whatever. Because, I mean, becoming like Jesus, I mean, that is, uh, that's a big, big, big undertaking. What's cool about that, that when you look at the progression about adding to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and all self-control is it's not like you don't add 50 things at once. Maybe you just need to focus on one area. Maybe God is zeroing in on your life and being like, look at, look, look at, at how, like, Faithfulness is kind of the area where you struggle. Maybe that becomes where you pray. Maybe that becomes where you study. Maybe that becomes where you ask for prayer, you know, for an accountability in that area. Maybe it's something else, you know. Maybe, um, I mean, we, we know the areas of life where we're like, man, if I could change one thing, it would be this. Well, maybe, maybe for you, you just target that thing. Target that area. And just say, I'm gonna, I want to add to where I am this area of my life. I want to see change in this area of life. Maybe sometimes we just complicate walking with Jesus too much. Maybe Jesus is like, you know what? Um, you're not going to become like me overnight, so let's just take it one step at a time, and let's, let's start here. Let's start with the fact that you probably don't love me as much as you're going to need to love me for what is ahead, you know? Maybe it comes down to you just getting in a place and you have a conversation with him and you're like, I don't know where to start. I know you've given me everything I need. I believe the promises. I want to know you more. I want to make every effort, but I need you to show me where to start. And the craziest thing will happen is he will show you, and probably it will not be easy. But that's what's so awesome about it. Because that divine nature, you start to partake of that more and more. And as you add to where you are and you begin to build on that, then it becomes something else and something else and something else. Next thing you know, you are that wise old owl of the church. You know, you're one of those great, just, just great saints that you look at now and you're like, man, I would, love, I would love to walk out what I believe the way that that guy does or the way that that lady does. Next thing you know, there's some younger person that's coming to you and being like, hey, can, you, can we meet sometime? Because I look at your life and I, I see Jesus in it and I want, I want to know how you got to be that way. And you're a little bit freaked out. And what's happened is you are partaking more of the divine nature then than you have been right now and more than you did six months ago or whatever. One of the things I love about the beginning of the school year is there's just something just kind of fresh start-ish about it. You know, it's kind of the vibe. And I think all of us would, would say different things. If we're like, this is kind of where I'd like to see my life go in the next couple of months. And I would bet that kind of an overarching idea is to be more effective in knowing Jesus. To be more fruitful in our relationship with him. And what's awesome is, here's just a couple of verses that so simply and so powerfully lay it out before us. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to make every effort. I want to diligently seek those things. What's awesome is that I know that by me wanting that, or by any of us wanting that, we are lining up with God's plan for what He wants. There's no better place to be than to be in line with Him. Let's, Let's pray together.